Welcome to VR in Education. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR in Education, where we dive deep into virtual reality for teaching and learning. Today, we have the pleasure of talking to Jeff Crawford and Ashley Johnson from Vehicles for Change VR. So Vehicles for Change VR is a collaborative effort between a company called Vehicles for Change and then HTX Labs. They are revolutionizing automotive technical training through immersive virtual reality programs. The program they're offering, which we're going to talk about today, has a dynamic virtual garage environment where learners can interact with tools, machinery, and equipment. It provides this practical, in-demand automotive skills, and it enables students from all backgrounds to possibly get certification. In this podcast, we're going to delve into how this innovative VR technology is shaping the future for technical education. So welcome to the show, Jeff and Ashley. Oh, thank you very much. We are very blessed to be here and thank you for giving us the opportunity to share our story with you and the rest of your team. So thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, happy to be here. VR is still pretty new and emerging and so it's always interesting to get one's backstory on what got each of you excited and interested in the medium of VR in the first place. So maybe we'll start with you, Ashley. What made you decide this VR thing's pretty cool? Honestly, it was not even in my um, train of thought when I was looking for jobs post-college. I came across the position via a recruiter, and she thought that I would be very interested in that due to me being extremely into social change and social injustice. And I spoke with Marty and he really sold me on the idea of what they were doing with VR. Um, I'd heard about Vehicles for Change before due to my own um, stepdad donating a vehicle to Vehicles for Change and knowing that VR was the new medium that they wanted to use to spread the training that they were doing a little bit further um, and, you know, spread nationally and help more individuals. I really wanted to be a part of that. And it was a very new concept. I had a lot of learning to do on my end regarding what the entire VR training process would entail, but I was ready for the challenge and here we are. How about you, Jeff? Well, if I'm being honest with you, and I, I will be this entire conversation, um, I wasn't actually interested in the actual virtual reality. Uh, in my previous life, I worked in a private America, a private corporate America. I worked for a phenomenal company, Enterprise Holdings, 25 amazing years. Um, and I got to a place where I just had a calling to try to do something different. And um, I decided and had the opportunity to step aside and after 25 wonderful years, but I still had the juices in me to do something. Um, and I was motivated to, uh, very motivated to 
uh, do something. I said, I know complaint is the first part of a solution. Um, and so I wanted to do something about it and have more impact. And so um, a gentleman that I'm friends with who uh, knows what I was looking for and opportunities I was looking for told me, hey, you should look into this nonprofit. I think you would have a lot of synergies in what they're doing. And I say, hey, look, with all due respect, I I, would, I love working with nonprofits, but I would never think about working for a nonprofit. And he told me, I said, well, what is it about? And he said, well, they need somebody to run their virtual reality division, which I knew nothing about, wasn't a big software or, or tech person. So it made it somewhat, quote unquote, even less attractive. But um, just very similar to what Ashley just shared with you, he said, look, just talk to Marty Schwartz, our president. Um, he's got a great vision that matches a lot of what you're looking to do. And I think there's some synergy there. And so begrudgingly, but I'm glad I did. It was the best decision I made. And uh, I talked to Marty and Marty shared his vision of what Vehicles for Change is and was and what it's looking to do. Uh, and he said he was looking for someone to help implement this change um, and help come run his virtual reality business. And I had experience, uh, you know, starting up and, and, and running operations and doing that, but to be able to do it for such a noble cause and to impact communities I've lived in and now worked in, it was it was amazing. So that's really it. And then in doing it, I backhandedly have become very interested now in virtual reality. And that just goes to show you the benefit of virtual reality is that a guy like me can now be on a podcast with you a year later talking about it. So we are really excited about the opportunity that what our virtual reality can do for our nonprofit. And that's what got me interested in VR. Let's talk about this uh, cause social good, if you will, because, uh, you know, many technologies aren't necessarily attached to or associated with doing social good. But you've found this beautiful marriage between taking a fairly advanced tool and putting it in the hands of people to catapult their lot in life. So tell us about that and how uh, Vehicles for Change VR is helping for social good. Yeah. Uh, I will try to make sure I do not take a whole hour. I can be here for an hour <laughs> explaining it, but I'll give you the super skim noted version. Um, basically Marty's vision, you know, he really wanted to put a significant debt into generational poverty and um, people in lower socioeconomic backgrounds. And what he really felt was the two most fundamental pieces to that success is having transportation to get the, having a job and that requires transportation and then having a skill and having a, a, a skilled labor or an ability to make a living. And um, in our advanced program, we have had folks, uh, almost 300 folks come through our program um, who go through our training program and they get transportation at the end of that and they get a job guaranteed. And that's what we are a sure bet at is training auto mechanics. And we're a sure bet at getting them job placed. And close to 300 of our per folks that have gone through our training program um, they were formerly incarcerated or would say uh, formerly criminally involved, uh, justice involved. They only have five people total that ended up going back. That's an under 2%. And the national recidivism rate, anywhere you look at it, is looking at about close to 50%. So Marty has mastered the art of, hey, if you have a job and you have a skill, then you will be able to be successful and end generational poverty. And now he has a crazy vision of growing 20 facilities to be able to do that. And so what we want to do is use virtual reality as a software, as a service to be able to generate revenue so we can expand and grow 20 more locations so we can impact and have more interns. So that's the beautiful part of the technology is, 
again, we're sure bet at training auto mechanics and getting them job placed. And now we're going to partner with a lot of different folks to get better at using software to expedite that process, to put more mechanics into the industry and to be able to uh, put a significant debt into that number. You know, lear- learning anything isn't easy. But when we think of the individuals that you've mentioned, which maybe were formerly incarcerated, their their chips in life might be lower because maybe they're facing issues with confidence, especially confidence in learning stuff. Or maybe they didn't sort of be given the learning strategies or skills to adapt to a new technology like VR. And so, you know, this exasperates often inequalities and Ashley talked a bit about this at the start what have what has been your observations when you give headsets to uh, these people do they pick up on it easy or is it you know harder for them to adapt or is their confidence level low medium high talk to me a bit about that part sure no problem Craig so Our very first class of incarcerated individuals was at the Maryland Correctional Institution for Women um, in Jessup, Maryland. And the women within that program range widely when it came to their technical aptitude and age, which, you know, of course, can sometimes cause the older people, especially, to be a little bit more apprehensive, um, not as confident. And um, the youngest individual was in her early 20s and the oldest was actually in her 60s and had never even used a cell phone because she'd been incarcerated for that long. So you can see where that in itself has a major technological barrier there that we had to overcome. But with a little patience and a lot of detailed instruction, all the women were able to learn how to maneuver within the headset and use the technology to successfully complete the training program. Um, And, you know, through our observation, we realized that the biggest barrier is usually learning how to maneuver, but use the controls, teleport in, as we like to call it, which is, you know, the act of moving without actually using your feet, using the actual buttons to maneuver. But we found a really fun and easy way to teach them how to do so without jumping straight into the training program. And we use the first steps VR game, which is in the MetaQuest 2 headset, which is what we're currently using um, to deliver our training program. And they had a good time not only learning how to maneuver, but it gave them the ease of, you know, feeling like it's, it's gamified where they're still being taught how to, you know, do the steps, but it was fun. There was music, there was dancing. And I think that was a really helpful tool to get everyone comfortable, kind of shed the, you know, pretenses that a lot of times people come in with um, when it comes to technology and, you know, putting up a barrier of um, frustration or, you know, bravado in order to kind of mask the fact that they are just extremely uncomfortable. And at the end of it, everyone was, you know, ready to jump in, ready to tackle the training program. So it was it was definitely an adjustment for for us learning how to, you know, make sure that all individuals involved were able to get the um, training that they needed, because you do have to adapt your teaching style as a trainer to make sure that your entire audience is able to get the same value. And Jeff, do you ever get individuals who balk and say, I just, I can't do it in a headset. Can you please give me like a computer option? Or are they usually, once they get their feet wet, so to speak, like Ashley talked about, they're all in? 
Yeah. At, at first, Greg, I thought that I would get at least, you know, one out of every five people to resist. But I got to be honest with you, there hasn't been anyone that has had any resistance. Um, and I think the reason being is because as it's being presented to them, the folks vested in their success have been the ones that have kind of introduced this to them. So I think their intrepidation about the technology is down. Number two, I think we all have a little five-year-old within us. I think it's kind of cool. Uh, I think it's a, it's a thing that people wouldn't want to maybe invest in buying an Oculus headset to get the virtual reality experience. But if someone's going to present that to me, I may do that. And so I think that to kind of do it in a gamified way makes it kind of fun. Um, and so I think, like Ashley had said, we had the one IP that was 60 years old, but was very excited about trying something new. So I think trying something new made people excited. And then having it be in a gamified way, I think it brought out the inner child. So I think that really does. I think the only intrepidation that I've ever truly gotten had been from some folks who maybe have some true spatial concerns, some vertigo or any issues like that. And what we have learned from industry is that maybe 5% of those people have that. And certainly if one or two of those folks we have experienced have had that, then we just cease doing it. But other than that, as far as wanting to uh, adopt doing it or being resistant to do it, um, no. I think I get more resistance from the, um, the 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 parties that would be benefit from more technicians who think that maybe you cannot duplicate that in a headset, but not from the participants who will be gaming the benefit from it from learning the skill. Not yet. I also, also wonder if it lowers the barrier of entry in regard to the intimidation of, you know, the mess and the tools and the sounds. Whereas in VR, obviously there's no mess. And also in, in VR, you're, you're sort of dialing it back a bit from a cognitive load perspective where, you know, the tool is there, but it, it's minimized, its functionality is less in that you don't have to, you know, figure out where the trigger is and stuff. And so, you know, do you agree with that, Ashley? Like you talked about, you know, getting more women into this particular industry. And I just feel like maybe this really can help them uh, take a baby step into the automotive industry uh, that I, I, I believe is heavily male dominated. Absolutely, Craig. You hit the nail right on the head. Um, especially for folks who have zero automotive experience, safety is always um, a main, the main concern for the trainers. Um, and VR definitely helps in that. There, the the biggest risk is, oh my gosh, I hit a wall. You know, I forgot I forgot my bound where my boundaries were, and I hit a wall. There's <laughs> not the risk of dropping a tire on your toe. There's not the risk of you know using the impact um, gun and potentially stripping somebody's um, lug nuts. So the safety aspect of it is a huge appeal, and also, like you said, for women especially, especially, it is a lot more appealing um, because they automatically would think about, oh my gosh, the mess of it all. Maybe that's not for me. It is a male-dominated um, field for a reason, quote unquote. But this gives them a chance to get their feet wet and try and just kind of experience things and maybe change their mindset. Because I think a lot of the barrier to women entering the industry is mindset, not skill. So it helps us to change the mindset while giving them the skill as well. Let's talk about your content, which I think is brilliant. So so far, you have uh, listed on your website three modules. You can learn oil change, you can learn maintenance and light repair, and 
You can learn brakes and steering and suspension. Of these three, Jeff, which one is probably the most popular and why? Now, they all all offer together. So it's not like you get an a la carte option. We think that that would be something that we will do in the future. But collectively, from the feedback we got from the folks that have participated in it, I think everybody... Uh, it makes synonymous an oil change with being a mechanic. And so the oil change, it usually, it's oftentimes the most user-friendly. It's fun. You get to pour the oil. Um, so that's been the most popular. As far as the one that I think has the most impact from start to finish, as far as a lesson and having its impact, it's probably the brake lesson. I think it's Terrence is our virtual reality guru who's our instructor in the headset, and he thoroughly enjoyed preparing the brakes lesson. He felt like that. He said that if he had had that when he had first started, it would have really helped him out. Um, he said a lot of folks entry level, they struggle with the brakes, and he feels our brakes does a really clean job at getting them ready to pass that ASE. So I would say that's probably the most productive of the ones that we've seen. And, but the, the, the best one is the oil. You got to do the oil change. Craig, we got to get you in there and make sure you do the oil change. You can't spill it on the ground. Ashley will get mad at us. So, But no, that's, that's probably the, the favorite one of everybody's. And when I look at those titles, especially uh, tire, tire changing and tire repair and oil change, those two things, unfortunately, in urban environments have kind of gone by the wayside. Like I I used to live in a small town in rural Canada. And I remember with my dad, we would change our own oil. He would teach me how to do the tire repair. And now growing up fast forward where my son and daughter have lived with me in urban environments. We don't have the big garage anymore. I never passed on those skills. And so this might be kind of a resurrection for that to have the DIY people, if they try it in VR, then maybe then they're like, you know what? I don't, I don't need like a, a big massive garage to do this. Now that I sort of know in VR how to do it, you know, I'm more apt to maybe go to the local Walmart or hardware store, get some ramps, get some tools and start doing this on our own. Hey, Ashley, I think I want to let the viewers know, I believe that Craig has infiltrated our security system and got our five-year <laughs> plan because that's exactly what we were thinking. We were thinking after we go through these modules, we're going to build these modules out, Craig. We're going to eventually, right now, the modules are built out where the student goes through and they will be able to pass at least two ASC certifications. But in the next three years, we're going to build it out where they will be able to pass all 10 ASC certifications. And then after that, we believe that in the future state, this will ultimately become a do-it-yourself. So that's so funny that you said that because we fundamentally believe that's the way it would go. We've seen it in the plumbing industry where people now, they call a plumber, they do it virtually. The person would show them the particular problem. And usually it's just they need to put the chain together and things like that. Another point I want that you mentioned, Craig, too, with the crystal ball is we talk about this all the time. Like the the remember the old home ec classes in high school and the in the base. So to your point, it's not just in urban environments. We've undercovered that even in suburban and even some rural environments, even your old school situation, Craig, of your dad teaching you, that's not happening anymore. And so we really believe now that this will this will spread and this skill will be in we've seen it in rural places in the state of Maryland here in the United States. We've seen it in the urban and suburban. So in all three markets, there's a need for mechanics. And for people to fix cars. So to that point, I think we're going to ring back. And I think we're in an era now where home economics or skill or being those things, those basic 
those things are that we've taken for granted in the last 20 years, I think are about to come back. And I'm, I'm glad we're ahead of it now, be able to do it virtually where we can expedite the process of how we do that. I love the categories within each model or module. And I want to talk a bit about that as an instructional designer myself. I love how you've broken or broken down the experiences in each module such that, you know, you use these categories. Step one, when you enter one of these modules, whether it's the brake and suspension or whether it's the oil change, et cetera, is you allow the user to explore first. Then the second sort of stage or phase, I believe, is to have them watch. So watch someone who's maybe a virtual apprentice, then move to stage three, which you guys call a guide. And then finally, they have to enter the final stage of these modules, which is an assess. And what a great progression when it comes to how we should learn something and become from a novice to an expert. So maybe elaborate a bit more on some of these stages and so the user has a better idea of what's going on there. Yeah, uh, this is like my favorite thing to talk about. The, 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 our modality is maybe our favorite thing. Um, and I do want to give a, and, and I talk about this modality is very important that I also talk about our partner that we use in, in the software. We partner with a company called HTX Labs out of Houston, Texas here in the United States. They have a fantastic software product that has absolutely helped us out. So we would not be in the position we are without their support. And I, so I definitely wanted to, to answer that um, and mention that because that is what happens Um how we were able to come up with this clean process of the learning system and, and having it be able to go from virtual reality. The key is for it to go from virtual reality to actual reality. And so the LMS and the CMS components are very important. So the first part is explore mode. And in explore mode, like you had said, Craig, when people first get into the headset, we want them to be comfortable first, right? We don't want to start teaching them the minute they get in the headset. Very similar to when my kids go back to school after summertime. They don't go right into the primary lesson. They review what they did over last summer. So what we do is we kind of get the customer just to explore, walk around, get comfortable with the headset, get used to what that feels like, looks like. Once they're comfortable with that, we want them to walk around and use the teleport options for for my folks out there that you know the Darth Vader game, you got to learn how to do the teleportation. Um, and, and so get comfortable with that. That's usually the hardest part of that is just transitioning and knowing how to maneuver. Once they get there in explore mode, the last part of explore mode is for them to walk around the garage, get familiar with the parts, get familiar with what they are. They can expand in the parts. They can look at what they are. They can look at what they do. Um, and we have what we call points of interest in each one of our garage settings. So that's the first part of Explore. And once the student feels great in that environment, Craig, now they're like, okay, I want to start to learn. I want to learn more. And so watch mode is a mode where we have over 91 modalities in between the oil change lesson, the tire lesson, and the brake lesson. Terrence, our virtual instructor, is really in a headset sitting down, doing what we call sit downs on each individual subject matter that helps them get prepared. And so the student just watches Terrence and talks about each of the things. In the particular module he would be talking about, there is a five-question quiz at the end of each modality to ensure that the student was paying attention. And those five questions also get them prepped up for the assessment at the end that we'll talk about. Now, once they go into watch mode and they go through all of those pieces and feel comfortable watching Terrence and learning all of what Terrence had taught, the third mode is what we call guide mode. Now, in guide mode, they're in the virtual garage 
but the student would not have Terrence in there giving them instruction. Now, there would be a guide. They have a checklist on how to do the lesson. So let's say we're talking about an oil lesson. The student would get a checklist, and the first step in the checklist for oil change would be to open the hood. And as the student would approach the hood in guide mode, we call it blinking blue mode. As the student approaches the vehicle, the first step and the next step in the process is opening the hood. That would be blinking blue. That is guiding the student as to what the next step in the process is. So they're familiar with what the hood is. They just learned it in watch mode, but now they're being guided. And as the student, the next step in the process would be moving the dipstick. If the student goes under the hood and didn't know where the dipstick was, they would look for something that's blinking blue to indicate and give them a, a signal. So that's what guide mode is. And they have to go through that over a regimen of time because we believe that practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes purpose. And repetition builds belief. So now the student gets in that muscle memory of doing it. And the machinations of the software and the CMS is really makes it that everything you do, those same functionalities need to would be applied when you're doing it in a real garage. So you go through that piece and that part for a period of time in guide mode. And now once you have done that, this is where it all comes together in assess mode. And in assess mode, what you have done is you said, look, I know I'm comfortable in the garage. I know the parts. I'm familiar with the lessons. I know how to do each one of these three lessons. So now you're going to be tested. And at that point, your time from the minute you walk in there for each step of the process, you get no Terrence, you get no virtual instructor helping you. You get no checklist. You get no blinking blue guiding. This is just you in the garage, like you would be in a real situation. And it gets timed. And at the end of that mode, the minute you complete that mode, we have put in a, anywhere between a 48 to 60 question test that is ASE styled. So passing that test, and in order to pass our class, you have to complete it at a 90% clip at least three times in a row. And that is why we believe that they can then now pass their ASE test, because in order to pass your ASE, you only need to pass it at a 50% clip. So our thought process as to why we had such a high bar at a 90% clip, Craig, is that if there is, and we don't believe it, but if there is a breakdown from the virtual reality to actually doing it in the garage, we don't believe that proficiency would change 40%. And anytime anybody does an ASE and does the test, it's all workbook stuff anyway. They don't do no any practical oil changes or anything like that. So we think we've really been able, and those are the four modes. They go in explore mode, get comfortable watching and get comfortable with the tools. The next mode after that is they listen to the virtual instructor who is a real instructor who went through our process, instructing them on that mode. Once they feel comfortable with that, they go, I don't need Terrence or I don't need the virtual instructor anymore, but I might need some help. So I get guided on what to do, the blinking blue lights on the next step in the process. But once you have done that and you're ready to put your big boy or big girl pants on, then it's time to be assessed. And then that's when you would go through the 48 to 60 step process, which is very similar to the ASE test. Ashley, typically, how does it, how long does it take the average person to go through all four of those modes or would they, or would they piecemeal it? Would they go into explore for X number of minutes and then stop there? Or does someone actually go in, do explore, watch, guide, and assess maybe in one sitting? So it's all self-guided and it really just depends on how long the person feels like they need to spend in each mode. I would say for explore mode, maybe about five minutes because all you're doing in there is just getting very familiar with the tools. Well, maybe five to 15 minutes, depending on what they're doing in there, because you can do parts identification. We do have points of interest within the 
explore mode where you're able to, for example, if we're doing an oil change, all the tools associated with the oil oil change are labeled. You hit the point of interest. It explains exactly what each tool does. And you're able to see a picture of what that would look like in real life. So parts identification is really important in the explore mode. It depends on how long the person would like to spend there, but we say anywhere between five to 15 minutes, um, depending on the lesson for explore mode. Guide mode could take anywhere between 15 to 25 minutes, um, depending on the level of um, whether or not you're you know, a novice going in for the first time. It's definitely going to take on the longer side. And it also depends on the lesson because um, an oil changed completion time is different from, you know, a break service completion time. So it varies, but it's, like I said, it's self-guided and we don't want people rushing through it. So we just suggest taking as long as you need to, to go through each mode. But um, the one that takes the most time would really be the assess mode, because as Jeff mentioned, at the end of the assessment, the actual, well, I call it the virtual hands-on because you are doing the task, you know, at the end of the virtual hands-on, you have uh, the examination, which is 60 questions. On average, um, the recommended administration time for the student student ASC is 60 to 90 minutes. So I would say that it takes no less than 90 minutes to go through that along with the 60 questions. So that's, that's where we are when, when it comes to the assess mode. So right now we have about 125 hours of training within the headset. So that is on par with the typical high school or college semester which means that it's a really good learning tool for those who would like to go into technical um, training for automotive while still, you know, in high school or, you know, they're exploring it as a non-credit option within the community college settings. And I feel like this mode of learning where they have to go through each stage is really influential in being able to retain the information. I want to tr- talk about the tricky business of certification because I've interviewed other people on this show who offer a different genre of skills, um, technical skills, like what you guys are doing. And one of the things that they mentioned was that, unfortunately, they couldn't get some sort of standard certification out of their VR training program. Yet, Jeff, you alluded to this already. It sounds like the amount of rigor that you are putting someone in through your VR training is actually above and beyond what a physical certification requirement would be. So why is there such hesitancy amongst certification bodies about saying, you know what, once they pass your VR certification, they're good to go in the real world. Yeah, it's just, it's like, you know, I always say, people say, you know, you should never sell books online. You know, that's you're, that, that that's silly. We, no one's going to buy books online. And now not only do buy people buy books online, they buy pharmaceuticals online. And Amazon, last time I looked, a pretty good company. Um, you know, they told me that I would never be able to get a car to pick me up from the airport. And only cabs can pick me up from the airport. And, and why would I want to get into somebody's car who I don't know and have my credit card on file with people I don't know? But we felt more comfortable getting a car with somebody's name we couldn't pronounce with a, a yellow cab that was the least attractive thing to get into. So like anything else, people are going to resist things that they don't know. And that's okay, right? And so we understand that because guess what? 
We didn't know either at Vertical for Change. Again, we didn't come into this from a perspective of virtual reality. We came into this from a perspective of a need for auto mechanics to get trained and put into it. And thanks to a recommendation from one of our board members, we found a solution that worked. But the reality of the situation is, is that virtual reality is not the future, it's the present. And information is the number one technology in the world. And so I just think what people have to understand is there needs to be something that's going to exacerbate the number of technicians that come into place. And the way that it's set up today, it is not going to happen. More importantly, for the amount of cars that are going to need to be fixed and the amount of mechanics that are about to retire, you don't want to be training people on what an oil wrench is or anything like that. These folks are going to want them to be doing bigger jobs, better jobs, more intense jobs. So we believe that you get this mindset before you get the skill set. And we believe it so much that not only will we believe that folks will pass their certification, their ASE certification with going through our, our training. And we believe it so much that if they do not pass, we would pay for the test that they took. So we're putting our money, quote unquote, where our mouth is, but we understand and we believe that we know how to translate it from what you do. And then you add that with the immersive technology. And that is the beautiful combination. It's not just the subject matter. It is also merging it with the immersive technology and using and going over and doing. That combination is what we believe is going to make the person whole and then be able to show it. And we even believe that for like dealerships or people that are looking for mechanics, we are so confident in the ability for a person to be able to do that, that we want them to kind of host like an NFL combine. And they would be able to say, hey, bring these folks that just went through VR only, bring them to your dealership and they'll show you how to do it. Put one car on lift one and they can do the oil change. Put one car on lift two, they can do the tire balancer. Put one car on lift three, they can do the brakes. And I even challenge you in number four, put them in a room and talk with them. And I can guarantee you just by them going through this process, their confidence level will increase to have that conversation with you as well, which is probably equally as important as getting the skill is having the soft skills necessary to be able to maintain that job. One last point, I don't want to over talk. The other, Craig, Craig, the other issue that we're seeing out there is there's a lot of people that go and get certifications, but they're getting certifications and things that are oversupplied. So people are going and they're getting certifications and they may not be even using technology to do it. But even the folks using technology to do it, they're having folks getting getting certifications and oversupplied. In my state here in Maryland, it is the ninth most given out certification in the state of Maryland. And it is only 16% is the most undersupplied certification in the state. We have 12 of our top 15 certifications in the state of Maryland are oversupplied meaning they cannot get a job. So it's not even about just getting the skill. It's also being able to get that skill to apply it to either a career path or a job. And going through our process, you can continue down the path of master technician, which would require you getting your 10 student ASE certifications, or you can go right away and get a job at like a Jiffy Lube or a local place here. I don't know what your local car place would be there, but these folks would be able to do your basic oil change. How confident would you feel about someone who was able to do that through going through virtual reality and show some level of acumen on doing something different. The other thing that struck me was just the need you're feeling in regards to there probably not being enough physical garages out there to take this many students and train them. You know, it's akin to uh, an airline company who's trying to train stewardess, but they don't have enough planes sitting on the tarmac to get the stewardess to be trained in the plane. 
And so same idea here. I don't think if you're talking the numbers that you're throwing out, you know, having a huge sort of volume of people that need trained, they just wouldn't have access necessarily necessarily to garages because those garages are full with cars that are paying customers, you know, and so it's, it's a great void to fill. The other second comment before we move on here is your story, Jeff, about taking the people who have been trained in VR and, you know, testing their skills to people who maybe were trained traditionally reminds me of the movie Gran Turismo. I don't know if you've heard of that movie where absolutely these kids are practicing driving in a virtual driving simulator. And then there was a contest. And in that contest, they took the top 10 Gran Turismo drivers and put them on the real track. And, you know, this is a true story. One of them actually did really well. And so that, that came to mind as well. And if I could add to that, so our software partner, HTX Labs, they were partnered with the United States Air Force for four years. And how they partnered with the United States Air Force is the United States Air Force added them to build a virtual garage where I believe it was a C-130 plane that went into the garage environment and their entry-level mechanics for the Air Force would learn how to fix the plane in the virtual environment. And we felt like, well, wait a minute, if the United States Air Force is using it to train people on a plane, then we'll probably be okay to put a 2019 Equinox in an environment <laughs> to learn how to do brakes, oil chain. And, you know, so that really was, so to your point, that for we didn't even know about, but for that, my uh, software company partnered with the United States Air Force, and that's how we got and found and fell in love with this garage environment and using it as a training tool. So we feel as though if it's good for the USFA, it's good for vehicles for change and the rest of everybody else. So we've talked about, we've talked about oil changes. We've talked about brake repair. You know, we've talked about tires. You've got a whole bunch of other learning modules and certifications coming down your pipeline. My first question around that is how do you know, which ones to do next? Like what lens do you use to determine, okay, we've got, you know, we've got these four, now we're going to add X number more. How do you pick and choose? Because there's so much in the mechanical world as far as training that you could do. Yeah, that's a very good question. And we were very strategic about how we did this. So right now um, we have steering and suspension. We have the actual lesson built and now it's in the process of being converted over to the software and so once that gets introduced into our environment we will now be able to say that folks can pass three of the 10 student ASE certifications one would be the maintenance and light repair or mlr one would be the uh, brakes ASE, and then the third one would be the steering and suspension ASE. so now what we're going to do is Every six months, we're going to introduce a new module in our environment, and the order of it's going to be based upon the remaining seven ASEs. And so what we did is we did a kind of a survey, and we kind of said, okay, what is the easiest ASE remaining to pass, and what is the hardest? And we felt as though the easiest ASE remaining would probably require the least amount to build the software. And so we would then build, and so we'll build the software based upon the one that is the easiest to pass. And then at the end, for example, the electrical is going to be probably the hardest. That's probably the hardest ASE to pass. And that'll probably be the last one. The full electrical will probably be the last one we do. Um, and so strategically, that's how we're going to, so that's how we've decided. We based it upon the level of which, and our 
uh, customers also have told us that that's probably a logical way to do it as well. You mentioned soft skill training, which I think, again, is beautiful and key, not only to, to the lives of these training mechanics, but also to betterment of the job of being a mechanic. How do you do that? Do you do it with like uh, implicitly within these modules or do you have separate explicit soft skill training modules that you deploy to them? Now, we that's a very good question. We are kind of trying to merge those things because we have an advanced training programs at Vehicles for Change where we do, it's a 15-week program where we do have components of that that we do offer our advanced interns. We have not segued that yet into what we offer. When we offer it to our customer base, our primary customer base of folks that have seen value in the virtual reality training have been folks in our correctional facilities folks at our high school CTE programs, community college, workforce development, other nonprofits. Uh, so we haven't yet, but we've told folks that partnering with people after they get the certification is one thing, but the pathway after they get the certification is equally as important. And we certainly, again, we're a sure bet at doing that at Vehicles for Change. And so what we do is we we kind of indirectly help our clients here local in Maryland. But as we grow nationally, we don't have the reach to do that directly. Um, so we would just recommend that folks, and there's a plenty of entities we have partnered with that would love to be on the other end of this with us once people come through. So I think in any market that we've been in, there has been a plethora, a bevy even, of folks who want to do that soft skill and, and and follow up and follow through on that. So I don't think that will be an issue at all. And I'm calling all you folks out there. I, I'm the I'm the bottom of the V for you. I need you after these folks get through VR. My VR is not good unless I have folks that also give them the soft skill. So I need everybody to help this product. I'm just part of the of the puzzle. I'm mindful of time. And so is there anything else between the two of you that you think we haven't really talked about that you'd like to resonate with the audience in regards to what you're doing? Sure. So I know that, you know, at the end of the day, tracking um, progress is really important. So I just wanted to speak on that very briefly. So we plan on tracking each student's performance um, on their, as you know, ASC certification um, exam and perform a comparison to the performance of a traditional automotive student versus a VR automotive student. We also track their improvement over the course of the program based on their assessment scores for both the virtual hands-on portion and the 60-question examination. So to the best of our abilities, we would also like to track their employment rates after completing the program, but especially within the um, correctional system, it is a little bit harder due to privacy concerns. But as best as we can, we like to see what the correlation is between completing the certification and employment, or at least continuing their career path, whether it be through additional um, training, or, you know, maybe a more standard um, education route where they could, you know, get an associate in automotive or whatever the case may be. But um, we also um, have facilitator facilitator satisfaction surveys and um, student satisfaction surveys that we send out before the class starts and afterwards just to try to see what their knowledge level was prior to getting into getting into the software both on a technical and skills 
section and um, also just trying to see where we can improve based on the feedback that we get from the facilitators and from the students because we're constantly trying to make improvements to the software and to our training um, levels that we offer to the facilitators. So it's really important that we get that honest feedback because we can't improve what we're offering unless we are told what we need to improve on and also told what is working really well because if that's the case, then we can also give you more of what is working very well. And I feel like that is also what we are focused on just consistently, not only improving the student, but ourselves. Jeff, last word to you, my friend. It's just simple. I, I just want to say thank you. Um, you really made me, it made us feel like to know that virtual reality, I think virtual reality is really the answer to a lot of things. And I just really want to say thank you to you for giving us this opportunity. We are a nonprofit, a small nonprofit. We will always be that no matter what. Um, and so for me, the last word I want to say is, is that if if we can do it and we can create a pathway and we can find a solution through virtual reality, anybody can. Because Jeff Crawford didn't know anything about, and the folks who know me would absolutely tell you the same thing. But I just want to deplore everybody to understand that we are here now for the virtual reality. And I just want to, that's it. I don't want to talk any more about vehicles for change per se. The last word I want to say is virtual reality is the way. And that is why the number one commodity in the world is information. It's no longer oil. And that's why if you look at all of our companies that have trillion dollar market caps, Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon, NVIDIA, all have something to do in AR, VR, XR. And we all know that typically any technology starts out for good but oftentimes gets in nefarious situations and then it ends up not being that thing. Please don't let virtual reality be that thing. Please. It is an opportunity for us to do a level set for people who need it the most. And it doesn't matter about what political affiliation or where you're from. This is something that I think is going to universally take off. And so I implore everyone listening to this to, if this inspires you to do something, please, virtual reality, anything like that, stay in it. But Keep it for good. Well said. And, and, it I, also, and it could also be something that is profitable because kind people deserve to be rich too. <laughs> and I had goosebumps when you guys actually reached out to me because like you said, Jeff, there's just no better use case than to improve humanity and learning. It's This is about learning. It's just an easier, often, especially in your use case, a better way to learn things and you're using it to help. And I just, I can't help but reiterate and echo what you said. So if people want to get a hold of you, maybe they want to donate or maybe they want to copy and emulate what you're doing, but in a different uh, genre, how can they learn more about what you guys are doing? Absolutely. So directly to get to me, you can reach out at info at VFC dash VR dot org if you want anything specifically to virtual reality you can also visit us on our website at vehiclesforchange.org as well to see our whole program but both websites will be perfectly adequate for people to see our story and what i'm my cell phone number to contact me directly is um 
392-1419. And I'm also going to leave my Calendly link, Craig, with you. If you don't mind putting it in the description of the episode, that would be great. But I would love an opportunity. You can go to my Calendly link and we can give you a virtual demo and take it from there. Um, Ashley, I didn't know if you wanted to ask anything else that they can get in contact with us with as well. Absolutely. And, you know, like Jeff mentioned, we are a small nonprofit. So if you guys could just go ahead and follow us on social media platforms, share please, our message, please. that would be um, ideal. That would really, really help a lot. Um, we On LinkedIn, we are Vehicles for Change VR. On Instagram, we are at Vehicles for Change VR. Facebook, also Vehicles for Change VR. I'll go ahead and leave the links to those with Craig as well so he can put it in the um, episode description. But even if you're not in a position to purchase licenses or anything, just giving us support on social media is really helpful. Just sharing our content, um, getting the word out. You never know who you might be helping in sharing this information. And as mentioned before, information is the number one commodity. So please go ahead, like, share, subscribe, whatever you Please can do to help the cause. Help us out. Help <laughs> us out. Craig, thank you so much. I mean, I honestly, goodness, I'm going to thank you till the cows come home. I may like every one of your social media posts for the rest of my life, but I really appreciate, <laughs> well, appreciate you giving us this opportunity. Your That's narrative it. and story is amazing. So I'm happy to help and uh, I will continue to watch your story. And I hope like in six months or a year's time, you guys have blown out of proportion where you just can't even handle the number of uh, people wanting to support oh, you guys. I would love that. I would, Ashley would love that too. She can handle it though. I'm letting everybody know she's waiting for it. So, <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming on the episode and Thank I you, hope Craig. you stay in touch. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you everybody for listening.